Our scripture that was read earlier came from the gospel according to Dr. Luke, the 19th chapter and the 29th through the 35th verse. A very popular text that is preached in mostly all churches during this season of the Palm Sunday. I'll read it again so that we're all on the same page as we see what thus saith the Lord. Amen? Beginning at verse 29, it reads, When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. I remember when I was a young man growing up in the island of Jamaica. My brother and I would often go to a nearby field in our neighborhood to play pickup soccer. And we did this on Sunday evenings with many of our friends. The guys who would gather there to play were often older than my brother and I, and so we would have to wait on the sidelines until one of us were picked in order to make the teams even. I know you're familiar with this because you used to have pickup basketball games. Yeah, yeah. At the time, even though I was older, I was not that great of a player that my brother was. So you can imagine when the teams were uneven, they would always choose my younger brother before me. As more people showed up, they would get picked before I was because they had a higher skill level than mine. So suffice it to say, I would only get picked on a team when they had no other choice. Quite often, I would wait for very long periods of time to get in the game. And sometimes I would not get in the game at all. But I remember one instance when the game was almost over and a player felt so sorry for me that he took himself out of the game so that my day would not have been a total waste. It was a great act of kindness that meant a lot to me at the time. But try as I might, I couldn't get it out of my head that maybe he didn't really feel sorry for me, but instead he left the game because he was tired. Another way that I often look at this is that maybe he wasn't even tired, but since they were already losing, it didn't matter who was in the game. Either way, I was just happy to be on the field trying my best to play well enough that perhaps one day I would be the first choice. Many of us can relate to what it feels like to not be the first choice to not be chosen. 
As a matter of fact, if most of us, if most of us can actually relate to the feeling of being rejected or passed over for people that were either smarter than us, that were more good looking than us, that were either taller or shorter, as the case may be, slimmer, more articulate, fairer skinned, or even darker, depending on younger or even older. Many of us can relate to being rejected by what others thought was they needed more than we. Whatever the reason, sometimes we're not the first choice because we're just not qualified for the task in the eyes of others. It can be an emotionally painful experience to not be chosen for something very important to us. And so it's with this thought in mind that I want to speak today from the topic, the chosen one. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. We've offered you our praise and we've offered you our worship. We've offered you our tithes and our offerings. We've given to you, Lord, our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to our holy God. Now, Lord, we ask that you will now turn this monologue into a dialogue and speak back to the hearts of your people. Lord, I know what I have prepared and you know what I have prepared. But only what you have to say really matters. So incarnate your spirit now into this flesh. And use these lips of clay that I may speak a word of life, hope, encouragement that will edify your body, that we may do the work of the kingdom. For it's only what we do for you that really matters and what will last. So we ask your blessings now upon this sacred time and upon this sacred hour. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our scripture today gives an account of what took place before Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem about a week before his resurrection. As I'm sure you are all aware, the scene of Jesus' entry, it is very familiar mostly to, mostly really to a lot of Jewish people. It is unmistakable what is going on. And it was a clearly designed act that is used to emphasize the kingship of Jesus. In fact, the Lord riding on a colt into the city was a fulfillment of the prophecy that was first given by the prophet Zechariah, which he predicted over 500 years before it actually took place. Here's what it said in Zechariah 9, verse 9. And again, 500 years before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah wrote that 500 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Furthermore, recall in our text, it said, when he had come near Bethpage. Here it says, when he had approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet. And why that is important is because Zechariah also said, Zechariah also said in 4 verse 14, he says, the mount that is called Olivet, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. So the point is every feature of this story indicates Jesus' intention to come into Jerusalem heralding himself as king. Yes. Recall also that as Jesus rode into the city, 
and descending from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples and people began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen him do, shouting, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. We're also told that among those multitudes were some Pharisees. And these Pharisees took to Jesus and they said, Jesus, Master, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they had a problem with the people calling him king. Rebuke them. Why? They thought it was inappropriate. But Jesus said to them, if they stop shouting and if they stop screaming and if they stop acknowledging my kingship, then the stones would immediately cry out. In other words, Jesus is letting you know that all of creation waited for this moment when they would see the heralding of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is why Palm Sunday is such a big deal to us in the Christian church because it marks the moment where prophecy was being revealed right before everyone's very eyes. But beyond all of that, I sort of want to focus specifically on the story that Luke tells us regarding this little donkey. This seemingly insignificant event of the disciples going to get the colt, which I'm telling you is not as unimportant as it may seem. Now, the symbolism of the donkey may refer to an Eastern tradition where the donkey is seen as an animal of peace. As opposed to the horse, where if you're coming riding on a horse, you are now bringing war. So if the king had ridden a horse into Jerusalem, it was saying, I am bringing with me pain, suffering, and I am bringing with me conquest. The horse is majestic, and it gives you that impression. But Jesus came in on a donkey, which symbolized for many this sign of peace. So he was coming as the prince of peace, not a war-raging king, at least not yet. So while all of this symbolism is great and it has awesome theological significance, I still couldn't get away from the fact that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and all of his disciples want to tell you this story about a donkey. What's the big deal with this donkey? Well, here are a few things I'd like us to consider as we think about this colt, the foal of a donkey. Number one, it was young. Number two, it was unproven. And number three, it was tied. Three things that I'd like us to wrestle with just for a few moments as we look at this Palm Sunday in, in retrospect and see what we can learn about why the disciples find it so necessary to talk about a donkey a week before Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. The first thing is the colt, as we said, was young. There is a common colloquialism that says youth is wasted on the young. It's used to refer to the idea that sometimes those of us that are young are incapable of taking on major and important tasks. It is one of the chief reasons, I believe, why we see so many of our young people in the church and even in society so frustrated. On the one hand, we want them to step up and to show responsibility. Yet, on the other hand, we refuse 
to give them the opportunity to demonstrate that same responsibility that we're asking them to show. We're treating our young people as if they don't understand anything at all. Meanwhile, brothers and sisters, you should be able to remember a time where you weren't given the opportunity to demonstrate your value and your worth. While I can agree that there are some things that require the benefit of experience and age, we as a church need to be able to make the distinction between when it's time to step aside, to move aside, and allow others the opportunity to develop in the same way we did. I know, and I'm sure you know as well, what it feels like to not have the opportunity to do what you know you're capable of doing. It is the same frustration that I felt by not being picked on that soccer team. Now, what you need to know, and I'll do a little sidebar, is I was so frustrated and upset that at nights, when everybody's gone to sleep, I would take a soccer ball and I would kick it against the garage wall night after night with my right leg and my left leg night after night when everyone's asleep. And today I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I can't do it now, but I played on my college soccer team and my high school soccer team. I've traveled to Puerto Rico to play soccer. Listen, when I got to the field, guess who was picked first? See, there is something about the determination of the human spirit that once they tell you what you cannot do, something rises up in us that lets us know that we can do more because we are what? More than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. But here's what I need you all to understand. We must allow the Holy Spirit to help us to discern between the call to serve and actual service. The call to serve usually happens to the very young as they are mentored and they are prepared for service. Remember, Samuel was only 11 years old when God called him. David was but a mere 17-year-old boy when God chose him. Mary was about 13 years old when Angel Gabriel visited her and told her she was chosen. So, like our young people today, yes, they may be irresponsible. Yes, they may be rambunctious. Yes, they may think they know everything. Yes, they are flighty, but so too are they creative. So too are they ambitious. So too are they curious. So too are they talented. And we must give them the opportunity to change the world. So the point is, it is no secret that Jesus would choose a colt, the foal of a donkey, to function in his service. Yes, the colt was young. Yes, the colt was irresponsible. Yes, the colt was fragile. But yes, the colt was strong enough to carry the word. The next thing I want you to see is that the colt was unproven. The text tells us, Jesus said to his disciples, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. The fact that this young colt has never been ridden speaks to the fact that it was unproven and really not yet ready for service. If you know anything about donkeys or horses, if they've never been ridden, and you is the first rider then chances are you're going to be met with some bucking and some kicking. So it's, no, so it's no surprise that the disciples may feel a little bit of apprehension because they're concerned about the safety of their master. 
What do you mean a colt that has never been ridden? Jesus, what are you doing? We cannot come and bring you this. Yet while that is true, my brothers and sisters, while the disciples may have harbored a fear of safety for their Lord, you must recognize that he is the Lord. And by him being the Lord, it means that he is master and king over everything. And so, therefore, what might seem to you as something foolish or it doesn't make sense or puts him in danger, it is exactly what God wants. Why? Because it will show his glory. Far too many of us put limitations on God. When God seeks to use the means of what you are resisting as the opportunity to be a blessing in your life and in the life of others. I completely understand our hesitation to depend on our own earthly experience, knowledge, and wisdom. But you must always remember that if it's the Lord that brings you to the situation, then it will be the Lord that brings you through it. And there is nothing too hard or impossible for God. But while Jesus is Lord, and we know that he has sovereign control over everything, including an unproven colt, the deeper reason why I think he chose this young colt the foal of a donkey, is that <laughs> he had to choose an unproven animal. Here's why. The Greek describes this animal as new and a fresh donkey on which no person has ever sat. We see this playing out in the light of the Old Testament. For whenever the priests and the prophets were, were doing something, they would always seek for something that has never been touched by man. See? And, and I find that rather curious. In Deuteronomy, the 21st chapter, in the third to the fourth verse, it says, Then the elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has never been worked and has never worn a yoke. Or in 1 Samuel 6, it says, Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calves and have never been yoked. Now, 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 I find all of this very curious. Why? Because what's the big deal? I mean, I would think that uh, if I'm going to ride a horse or something, I'd want it broken in. I'd want at least something, you know, I don't want to jump on something that has never been proven that it can even do the work. But here's the pattern. For if you jump to Luke, the 23rd chapter and the 53rd verse, you find this. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had ever been laid. You see, even the tomb that Jesus was placed in after he was taken down from the cross, he went into a tomb that no one has ever been in. And what is this telling us, church? It's telling us that there is something about the holiness of God. You see, you see, while the coat was unproven, it demonstrates that animals that are set aside for sacred use cannot be put to ordinary use. Likewise for you and me, despite what we may think how, or how we may value something, Whatever we set it apart for God, it is for God and not for anything or anyone else. We cannot think that a holy God should be given our second hand or, or, or our leftovers or, or the things that we do not want. God is saying he is holy. He gets our best and he deserves our best every single time when Jesus died on the cross he was not the leftovers from all the angelic hosts he was God himself the very best which means that anything for God must be for God and God alone that's what makes it sacred and that's what makes it holy so the cult not only was it young 
but it also was unproven because it was set apart, sacred for a holy God. Finally, the colt was tied. The text says, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. We've seen that the Lord can and does do things with the young and the unproven. But irrespective of what value you may bring to the Lord in his service, one thing I know is true of all of us is that we must first be loosed and untied. Before you begin service in the Lord, you need to be loosed and untied. The problem of, that many of us face in our daily lives is that we are in some way restricted, tied, and burdened by the vicissitudes of life. Whether it's revolving debt or joblessness, frustrating relationships, limited opportunities, you name it. There is always something that seems to have us so bound that we are challenged in our ability to truly and freely serve the Lord. But the one thing I love about this particular text is that the Lord told the disciples to say, if anyone says to you, why are you untying it? Tell them this, the Lord says he has need of it. It is most ironic that the Lord God Almighty, riding in on a colt of a donkey, who is the Prince of Peace, all of this wonder that he has need of it. He's God. What could he possibly need? Well, I want to remind you, Look back in your biblical history. He needed a boat from which to preach. He needed some loaves and fish from which to feed thousands. He needed a coin in order to make a point. He needed a room to share the Last Supper. And he needed a tomb in which to rise from the dead. Our Lord has chosen and put himself in a position of need so that you can participate with him in his glory. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul says, He who was rich became poor. Why? I believe one of the reasons was in order that we might partner with him in what he wants to do on the earth. So whether it's preaching the word or even feeding the multitude, the Lord says, I need you. Before the donkey could be used by the Lord, he says, loose and set him free. And that's exactly what we are to do. Even though many of us are born-again believers, the truth is, Lazarus came forth from the grave. He was bound. Yes. Jesus said to the men, loose him and set him free. Brothers and my sisters, when we come to hear the word of God, as we stand hand in hand with our brothers and with our sisters in prayer, you find yourselves being loosed and released from that which so easily binds and entangles us. Jesus said in Matthew, the 18th chapter, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm talking spiritual things. Many of us are going through challenges and struggles in our life. Why? Because we are bound spiritually. But you need to appropriate the authority that God has given to every single believer that with your words, with your voice, with your faith, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The colt was loosed because the colt was needed in the service of the Lord. 
And so too must you be loosed and freed so you can serve fully our Lord. The Lord needs you. So my brothers and my sisters, with all that you have heard and all that I have said, as I get ready to close, the cult was young, unproven, and tied. All of these seeming limitations could be excuses for not being useful to God. Each of these are reasons that you and I sometimes make excuses for not doing what God has called you to do. But the Lord has need of you. Sure, you may think you're too young, but the Lord has need of you. Sure, you may think that you're unproven and has never done what God is asking you to do, but the Lord has need of you. Sure, you may be bound and tied up with the busyness of life and its many pressures, but the Lord has need of you. This is what it means to be chosen of God. We do not come to God having it all together, brothers and sisters. And to quote a famous cliche, when you, get, when, 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 when you come to God, you don't get good and then get God. You get God, and then you get good. God will always resist the proud, but he will exalt the humble, just like he did. It said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and honor of the Father. So my brothers and my sisters, I came all this way to tell you one thing and one thing only. Look at the end of the text. They brought it to Jesus. And they threw their coats on the young, unproven, formerly tied up coat and put Jesus on it. This young, unproven, once tied up coat carried Jesus, the word of God, into the great city. The same Jesus wants to take you Unproven, young, or old, formally tied up, restricted, bound. You get the privilege to take his word into this great city. So my brothers and my sisters, a simple message is that the Lord needs you. Think about that. The God of the universe, almighty God, needs you. It didn't even say he wants you. He needs you. Jesus is the chosen one. He is the one that went to Calvary's cross on your behalf and mine. He was the one that was chosen before the foundations of the earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And because he made that choice, you and I have the privilege and the opportunity to find freedom and to be untied and to be loosed 
from all of the sin that so entangles us. Today is a great day on this Palm Sunday, a day that we herald in our Lord and we celebrate and shout glory to God in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, King of kings and Lord of lords. But you can only celebrate if he is your Lord and if he is your King. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we close, Jesus is the chosen one, but he is choosing you today. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.